sermon, and the Lord just completely kind of kind of changed it around. Uh, but this morning we looked at First John chapter one in prayer room, and and we talked about some some markers where you can determine whether you're a false Christian or a true Christian. And man, it the battle's hot right now. There we live in a world where. Um, we, we mentioned it last week from our church retreat, and be honest, I can't get out of my head. Man, we're living in a world where the world hates Christians. They want nothing to do with God. They want nothing to do with Jesus. They'll say anything and do anything to be released from any kind of accountability. And it, it's just a, a truly wicked world that we're living in. And, man, it's, it's hard being a Christian in a world like this. It's hard to submit to God. It's hard to walk in the Spirit. But the Bible says that joy cometh in the morning. So it may not be easy right now, and that's fine. The disciples gloried that they, they were tempted and that they were persecuted because they knew that one day when God would receive the glory that was due his name, they knew that they would have crowns to cast at his feet. They knew that they would be able to give him glory because of what they went through for his name. So this morning, um, it's on the screen, but I encourage you, to, if you, you got your Bibles turned, we're going to be in the book of Exodus. Uh, we're going to start in chapter 19. Um, when I say that yesterday God put something totally different on my heart, I was trying to figure it out, and I, just, I told the Lord, I said, I, I, I said, Lord, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do right now. Lee had already texted me, he said, hey, you good to go? And I was like, yeah, sort of. And, and I was praying last night, and I was like, God, I, I just don't think this is what I'm supposed to do. And I said, Lord, if you're going to change this, I need you to give it to me like you want it. And and I will say that I, I felt like God gave me every single bit of it. So this morning, we're going we're gonna to read a few verses. We're going to pray. Uh, we're going to start in Exodus 19. And we're going to start in verse, uh, verse 3. Get there right here. All right, so on the screen too right here. Ver, uh, Exodus 19, verse 3 says, And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called, un, called him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt uh, thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I, did in e what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant. Then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Verse 6 says, And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. So this is, this is God giving the word to Moses. And he's telling them, hey, this is what I want you to convey to them. Pick up in verse 7 right here. It says, And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. Verse 8, we're going to look at a phrase here that we're going to find out they don't really mean. Verse 8 says, And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we, we just thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be in your house this morning, God. We, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be in the presence of your word. God, I, I thank you, Lord, for giving us a preserved word. God, I thank you for giving us a word to guide us, a light to guide our feet, Lord. And God, I pray this morning, Lord, that as we gather today, as we gather together in this sanctuary, Lord, that you would um, help us, God, to remove anything and not do anything that would not bring you honor and glory. God, I pray that you'd give us hearts to... Uh, to accept this morning, God, and ears to listen, Lord. And I, I pray that we'd be able to take your word this morning, God, and apply it to our lives, Lord, and, and go throughout the week, God, and, and grow closer to you. Lord, I, I, I especially pray this morning, God, that you would touch our pastors, Lord, as they're gone today, Lord. I pray that you just give them a time of rest and relaxation. 
God, I pray, Lord, that you would just touch them, Lord. And uh, God, I, I know they've they both already texted me today saying that they are praying for the service, God, and that, that just means so much, Lord. So I pray that you would just help them and bless them, God, and bless our time here today. And Lord, I pray in everything that we do, God, that you would just remove every ounce, God, of of ego and self-ambition, God. I, I say that a lot, Lord, but if we gather together and, and we've gathered to do something in our flesh, Lord, we've gathered in vain. And Lord, I just pray, God, that, Lord, the song says, all is vain unless the Holy Spirit does come down, Lord. And I pray this morning that your spirit would move among us. God, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would be here, God, and we'd fill it in your word. Lord, I thank you for all that you do and all you're going to continue to do. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so I, I want to back up just for a second. Um, book of Exodus, it, it gets preached out of a lot, and it's really, really common scripture. And if you look, I, I believe it's around chapter 14, this, in, in chapter 10 through 14, this is where God is, is trying to bring his people out of Egypt. They're in bondage, they're in slavery in Egypt, and, and God is sending these plagues, and, and finally Pharaoh says, all right, go. They're burying their dead. The, the Israelites are on the move. They're headed toward the Red Sea. And, and what we see between chapter 14 and chapter 19, um, there's a phrase that, that Moses is praying to God. They have, they've gone thirsty. They've gone hungry. And, and Moses says, God, what am I supposed to do? Because they're ready to stone me. They have complained. They have murmured against God. God just brought them out of slavery. And literally, they get to the sea before they cross the Red Sea, and they're already saying, man, has God brought us out here to die? As soon as they're, as soon as they're delivered, man, they're already complaining and murmuring. And, and it's a cycle. It's a pattern. And what, what happens is when they get hungry, they complain. When they get tired, they complain. When they get thirsty, they complain. And, and what we see here is God has fed them. God has clothed them. God has, has given them water. This is... I, from, from my reading and my understanding, at the time that they left Egypt to now has appeared about six to eight months. And in, in chapter 19, what's being laid out here is God is going to enter into a covenant with the, with the Israelites. And God is preparing them for that covenant. Now, I titled this Willful Disobedience, and we're going to see exactly why here in just a few minutes. First thing we're going to look at here is, is God is preparing to enter into covenant with Israel, but he wants to make sure that they are prepared. Uh, if we look at Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 2, God gives them the location that the covenant's going to be given. God lays everything out for them from start to finish. He said, all right, this is what I'm going to do. This is where I'm going to do it. This is how I'm going to do it. And this is the manner in which it's going to be done. All right, so Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 2 says where the covenant's going to be given. They have, they have moved, if you, if you read in the book of Numbers, I think it's chapter uh, 13 or 14, they have moved 12 times. There's been 12 different camps that they've left Egypt. And, and number 12, they are now camping in the wilderness at Mount Sinai. And this is a place that God's going to give it to them. And uh, we just read in verses 3 through 8, this is the purpose of the covenant, and this is the acceptance of the covenant. Uh, so, they would be sanctified to God, and they would be a peculiar people. If you look right here in verse 5, it says, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, and ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. He's saying, hey, I'm going I'm to do this for you, and all you have to do is listen. That's all you have to do, and you're going to be a peculiar treasure, treasure to me because the whole world's mine anyways, but I'm going to set you aside. It's so simple, but they have such a hard time grasping it. 
The other is that in verse 8 right here, they say this phrase, like I said a minute ago, we're going to find out they don't really mean. It says, and all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. That is them accepting the covenant. They've told Moses, all right, whatever he wants us to do, whatever he said, we're going to do it. The next thing we're going to see in chapter 19 is verses 9 through 14, Israel sanctified for the covenant. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if it's up there or not, but if you, if you look at uh, chapter 19, starting in verses 9, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord, and the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. And be ready against the third day, for the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And then he gives some instructions about when he comes down. And, and if we, if, I believe it's up there, uh, Leviticus chapter 11, verses 44 through 45 say, For I am the Lord your God, ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be holy, for I am holy. God tells him in chapter 19, all right, you've accepted the covenant, now you have to sanctify yourself and you're going to wash your clothes. Sounds really weird, right? He says, sanctify them. He tells Moses, sanctify them today, sanctify them tomorrow, and then they'll wash their clothes. And the reason is, is because in Leviticus chapter 11, God is calling them to a standard of holiness. God is saying, okay, if you're going to enter into this, you've got to keep up your deal of the bargain, and you need to sanctify yourself and wash your clothes because when I come down to you, we are talking about the physical presence of God coming down to them. He's saying, you need to be sanctified before I come down there. Now we see here that God is entering into the covenant. This is the physical God is speaking to them in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. God speaks directly to them, just as they said, just as he said he would. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, um, growing up in church and, and, and hearing people say, well, the Lord spoke to me, the Lord, you know, he, Lord said this, Lord told me to do this. This is how I always imagined it. I imagine somebody being like in their secret place and they're praying and God's telling them something all of a sudden it starts thundering and lightning and there's a big cloud of smoke and, and boom, there he is. We, we know it's not like that. But this is how God chose to come to them. Exodus chapter 19, 11 is, is where he promised that to them. He said, I'm going to come down into the mountain there and I'm going to be with you. Now in Exodus 20, verse 18 to 21, I'm going to read these three verses right here. Uh, verse 18 says, And the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. So God already told them, Hey, I'm going to come down and speak to you. And now that that's happening, man, they are they're trembling in fear. They don't know what to do. They're anxious. They're, they're like, Man, we, we don't want this. If God keeps speaking to us, we're going to die. They understand the presence of God being there. They understand that even though they've been sanctified, they are not holy, right? So they are pleading to Moses. They, they, they say, let the Lord go back. You speak with us, lest we die. Exodus chapter 20, going down to verse 22 through 26, says, God instruct Israel to not make any gods of silver or gods of gold. If we... we we believe that this Bible is the written, preserved Word of God. Amen? Amen? If we don't have a preserved Word of God, how do we know how to keep? Now, God puts everything in here for a reason. And I want you to see right here in verses 22 through 26, God knew exactly what he was doing in telling them this. He said, And the Lord said unto Moses, Thus thou shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, Ye have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. 
Ye shall not make with me gods of silver, neither shall ye uh, make unto me gods of gold. An altar of earth shalt thou make unto me, and, and shalt sacrifice thereon thy burnt offerings, and thy peace offerings, thy sheep, and thine oxen. In all places where I record my name, I will come unto thee, and I will bless thee. And right here, verse 25 says, And thou will make me an altar of stone. Thou shalt not build of it hewn stone. If thou lift up thy tool upon it, thou hast polluted it. So he's saying, hey, I just want you to get rocks, natural rocks, build an altar, and that's it. I do not want you laboring it because your labor isn't, you're like, there is no righteousness in your labor, and I don't want you messing up where I'm going to come down and be among you. This is where you're going to sacrifice to me. This is where you're going to come. This is going to be a, a, a spot that cannot be polluted by our, carnal, our carnality. I, w- I want you to imagine hearing all of this from the literal voice of God. I, w- I want to paint a scenario for you. So most of us are parents or are around kids most of the time. When you tell a child to do something, you expect them to do what you told them to do, right? You, when, you, when, you, when you say, hey, I need you to go clean your room. When you get done cleaning your room, I want you to take the trash out, and then I want you to put your dirty clothes in a washing machine. Okay, three things, boom, boom, boom. This is what I want you to do. Typically, when you tell your, your children something or you tell a child something, you tell them to do something in a specific order because that's the way you know that it needs to be done. Now, what happens when that child does not listen to you? You've got to correct them, right? You correct the child, you discipline them, depending on, you know, the, the severity of what's happening depends on the, on the um, punishment. And, and what we're going to see here is, is man, God, God told the Israelites, hey, Boom, boom, boom. This is what you're going to do. And they said, all that the Lord say, we will do, right? Well, if we, we're going to skip forward right here to Exodus chapter 24 and verse 12. Exodus chapter 24, verse 12, God is calling Moses up upon Mount Sinai. They're still camped in the wilderness at Mount Sinai, and they haven't moved, right? They've seen God come down in a cloud of smoke, and they've seen and heard the thunderings, so they know what the presence of God looks like and sounds like, right? Chapter 24, verse 12, God calls Moses to Mount Sinai, and he is instructing him. Uh, if, we, if we go, let's just read it right here. Verse 12 says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Come unto me upon the mount. I will be there, and I will give thee tables of stone and a law and commandments which I have written that thou mayest teach them. So in chapter 20, God already gave them the law. He gave them the Ten Commandments verbally to them. But now God is calling them up there, and he's going to make something permanent to give to them, and he's going to instruct Moses on the tabernacle, how the tabernacle should be built, where it should be built, and what should be inside of it. Now, while Moses is up on the mountain, things kind of start falling apart. Now, one thing I want you to keep in mind, and I'm going to be honest with you, I made these outlines, but I don't have a copy of myself, so... I'm, on, I, I'm pretty sure I'm, t- I'm touching everything, but if I don't, just t- tell me to back up. But I want you to keep in mind, the Israelites have not been in the, the, the wilderness very long. This has been a period of six to eight months. God has laid down some ground rules to them, and now he is, he's literally putting them in stone. Now, from the time in chapter 24 that Moses goes up to where we're about to skip ahead to chapter 32, 24 to 32, this is God and Moses talking. This is God instructing Moses. This is Moses getting the Ten Commandments. And during those chapters, this is a period of about 40 days. This is 40 days that the Israelites are down at the wilderness at Mount Sinai, and they are seeing and hearing the presence of God. 
Man, it is so crucial that we remember that. We're going to go forward to chapter 31, verse 18. And it says, And he gave unto Moses when he had made, a, when he had made an end of communing with him. All right, this is Moses, is, they're done. Upon Mount Sinai, two tables of testimony, tables of stone written with the finger of God. Chapter 32, verse 1 says, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down upon the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives and your sons, excuse me, and your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand, and he fashioned it with a graving tool. After he made a molten calf and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Keep in mind, man, just, just for some for some Genesis and or, or just for some Exodus basics, Aaron is is uh, Moses' brother, right? He helped Moses coming out of, of the land. He helped hold uh, Moses' arms up when he, he had his staff and the water parted. He was there and seen what God did. But the children of Israel are saying, hey, we don't know where Moses is. He brought us out. We don't know where it is. We don't know what he's doing. We don't know what's going on. So we need something to worship. So they say, we want not what is becoming him. They're saying, hey, we don't, we don't know what's going on. Verse 5 in, in chapter 32 says, And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron uh, made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is the feast of the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. One thing I want you to see right here about Aaron. Um, man, this, this is a moment where Aaron is a weak back man. Aaron is not standing for what he knows that God has commanded the children of Israel to do. This is a moment of weakness for Aaron because he's down there essentially corralling the children of Israel. And, and I, I want you to make sure that we understand this isn't, this isn't like 500 people. This is thousands of people that are, that are coming to him and, and saying, Hey, we don't know where Moses is. Make us something to worship. And, and what does Aaron do? Aaron gives in to the false idols. And Man, it reminds me, I think this is there on your outline, it, it reminds me of another man who give in to false idols. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and did eat. The same way that Adam had a choice to say, No, God commanded that we don't eat of this fruit. Aaron had the same choice to say, No, God commanded us as the first commandment that he gave them was, Thou shalt not have any gods before me. The very first one. One of the first things that Aaron and the children of Israel heard God say, as soon as they don't like what's going on, what do they do? They turn on God. I, I, I want to I give you something right here, man, that the Lord has convicted me on. The future of the church is going to start with men listening and being obedient to what God has said and instructed. Amen. As much sometimes as I hate it, I, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm, I'm going to be real with you. I'm going to be transparent with you. Yesterday, me and Candace got into a little, a little argument, and I, I was, I'll be honest, I was being a jerk. And she apologized immediately. She said her piece, and then she apologized. And I was like, 
Okay. I said, I said, hey, you don't owe me an apology. She said, no. She said, I do. She said, because I couldn't react to that way, and regardless of how you act, it is my duty to respect you. Men, let me tell you something. Regardless of the standards of the world and regardless of what's going on around us, it is our duty. And it, it, is, it is what we have been instructed to do, to follow God and do what he has said and instructed. We've been given a command. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 says, In these things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, which will be able to teach to others also. All Aaron had to do was be obedient to God. Now, you, you cannot fulfill the mission. You cannot be involved in ministry if you are not obeying the commands of God. Now, look, everybody in here understands, Lee understands, Dylan understands, we're all human, right? We all fail, we all jack up. More than honestly, we'd probably all care to admit. But regardless of who we are, God's grace is sufficient. And all we have to do is listen. There's not one time in Scripture where he expects perfection out of the New Testament church. All we are called to do is be obedient and to listen. And all Aaron had to do was be obedient to what God commanded. Now, this is happening while Moses is convening with God. Moses is on Mount Sinai, and he is getting instructed from God what's going to happen with the people. Now, a little personal application. I, I, I want to ask you some questions here. I don't... You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to hurt nobody's feelings, but I, I want to be real with you. While your pastor's convening with God, and he's talking to God about the flock, are you applying virtue to your life? When your pastor's busy and he doesn't have time to hold your hand at the moment and walk through you with the circumstance that you're going through, are you still applying virtue? Even though your pastor cannot be with you at the moment, are you still doing the next right thing? Are you still doing what you know to do? They knew what to do. Even though Moses was up on Mount Sinai, they still knew what they were instructed to do. There was never an exception for that. And just because we, living here in this carnal world, don't get to physically be in the presence of God or be in the, the presence of Jesus Christ, does not mean that we are not still called to be obedient. 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verses 2 through 4 says, Preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away from the ears of, uh, they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. And here's the deal. If you are not applying virtue to your daily spiritual walk, you cannot fulfill 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. You cannot be instant in season and out of season. You cannot um, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Because if you are not in the Word, if you are not being obedient to God, it's not possible. And why is this important? Man, 2 Timothy 4, just repeat this verse. Uh, verse 3 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Man, there's a whole lot of ear itching going on nowadays. There's a whole lot of, of ear tickling going on. There, there's a lot of, of pastors and there's a lot of preachers that, that will stand in a pulpit. And, and, and man, let's bring it down to a different level. There's a lot of Christians just in general to where it's a lot easier just to go along with what somebody's saying than it is to say, you know what, man, Well, that, that actually doesn't go along with Scripture. But I, I want to reassure you this morning that, man, unless the Lord tarries, he's coming back soon. And we have a very limited time 
to be obedient. And man, the last thing that I want to do personally, and the last thing that, me, that I want my family to do, is to not be obedient and not be instant in season and out of season and not be able to be used where God has me at the moment. I said it a minute ago, I'm saying it again, if you aren't equipped in the word of God, you cannot fulfill the mission. Now, we see God's wrath to his people in chapter 32. Uh, chapter 32, verses 9 and 10. This is, Moses is up on the mountain and he's just gotten the Ten Commandments. But let's, let's back up just for a second here. We're going to read verses 9 and 10, but we're going, we're going to start at, at uh, chapter 32, verse 7. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go get thee down for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the hand of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way. Man, they have turned aside quickly out of the way. That reminds me of what Paul said, that you've left your first love. Isn't it amazing how we can be like the children of Israel? We can be released from slavery. God can miraculously make a way for them to cross over on dry ground. And man, if you ever study out where the Red Sea is and where they parted, every, so where, where, where it's believed that they parted is about 10 miles deep. Everything else on either side of that is about 40 to 50 miles deep. God made a way. God put them in the exact spot they needed to be in. God did everything, but they're standing there and they're saying, man, we, we, if we were back in Egypt eating you know, garlic and onions because at least we had food there, right? They just found something so quickly to complain about. And here God is saying the same thing. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Verse 10, Now therefore let me alone, and my wrath may wax hot against them, and I will make thee a great nation. Now, I want you to understand what God is saying here. God has acknowledged that they are worshiping false gods now to Moses. And now... Verse 10 says, now therefore let me alone and my wrath may wax hot against them. And God was ready to wipe them out. God just told them in chapter 19 and 20. Man, th this, is, this is before Leviticus. This is before the Levitical order of priests. This is before God gave them all these different sacrifices and how he wanted to be sacrificed to and, and the different offerings. So this, is, this is, God told them it's simple. He gives them the Ten Commandments and he said, look, don't make any gods out of silver. Don't make any gods out of gold. And make, make a stone altar, but don't put your tool on it. Just make a stone altar. He just told them 40 days prior. And man, God, God's wrath is waxed hot. Now, Moses is pleading with God right here. Chapter 32, verse 11, it says, And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath, wrath wax hot against thy people? For this has brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains? And it consumed them for the face of the earth. Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Verse 13 says, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, 
to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidest unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he sought to do unto his people. Man, Moses is pleading with him, hey, you brought them out here for a purpose. What, what is, is, are the Egyptians going to say, man, did this God of mischief free them just to kill them? And Moses is pleading on behalf of the Israelites, hey, remember, this is the people that you said you're going to multiply Abraham's seed as numerous as the stars. These are the people that are going to get to fulfill the promise that you made to Abraham and go into the promised land. Verse 14, the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. Now, God is angry. Now, Moses is angry. We all know who Joshua is. Joshua, at this time, is Moses' right-hand man. And if you go back to verse 24, when Moses went up to Mount Sinai, Joshua went up with him. He didn't go all the way up to where God was, but um, he, he, he went up to the journey with, with Moses. And, and chapter 32, verse 15 says, And Moses turned and went down from the mount. And the two tables of the testimony were in his hand, and the tables were written on both sides. On the one side and on the other were they written. Man, I imagine, just a little, just a little side note, my ADHD going to tell you, I bet them tablets were beautiful. Two stone tablets that God wrote on, Bible says, with his own finger. The law of God, how the tabernacle was to be built, man, I bet, I bet these things were beautiful. And the tables were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God graven upon the tables. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. And he said, it is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither it is the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. So Moses already knows. God has already told him that they have started worshiping these golden idols that they built. But the wording that Joshua says is interesting. He said, and he said, it is not the voice of them that shout for mastery. Neither is the voice of them that cry for being overcome. There's nothing wrong. Nobody is trying to kill them. Nobody is trying to overtake them. But the noise of them that sing do I hear. He said, they're worshiping something. So Moses goes down, and he enters the camp, uh, verses 19 and 20, and it came to pass as he came nigh to the camp, he saw that the calf was dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands, and he broke them beneath the mount. Now, a lot of us are probably fairly, uh, you know, familiar with this story. Moses comes down, he sees what's happening, he breaks them. And then later we're going to see he has to go back up to get these tablets back from God. Verse 20 says, And he took the calf which they made and burnt it in the fire, and ground it to powder and strawed it in the water, and made the children of Israel drink of it. So Moses gets down, he breaks the Ten Commandments, he, he, he melts down the, the golden calf again. He grinds it up, and he throws the ashes of it in the water. And then a really peculiar thing, he makes the children of Israel drink it. Now, you're thinking the same thing I'm probably thinking. Why in the world did he make them drink gold dust? Like, I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, man, that's kind of strange. Like, what, what's the purpose of this? And there was a custom back in these days he did it to get rid of the false idol worship. He said, look, he said, if you're going to do this, you're going to be consumed by it. 
And they consumed it to get rid of it out of the camp. Now, I know this is on your outline. I want you to buckle up for a second because now we're going to see another example of Aaron being a weak back man. In Exodus 32, verses 21 through 23, the Bible says, And Moses said unto Aaron, Keep in mind, Aaron's in charge of these jokers while Moses is up on a mountain. And Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people that they are set on, that they are set on mischief. Man, that, that's another thing that reminds me exactly of Adam. When God questioned Adam about, you know, how do you know you're naked? Adam says, the woman that thou hast given me. Right? Aaron took no accountability for anything. Aaron willingly disobeyed God. But when Moses questioned him about him, what did he do? He said, well, man, come on, you know the people are mischievous. And I want you to imagine the, the anger and intensity that Moses has toward this. You know, I don't know if anybody else does this. I know I do this. I, I get into a bad habit of we're, when we're reading, man, we think, okay, yep, they talked exactly like this. No emotion, no anything. Man, I want you to imagine the anger and intensity after Moses has been convening with God to get the physical law, the tablets engraved by God himself, and he comes down, and he hears singing, and he hears worship to a false idol that just, just a couple months ago God told them not to do. I want you to imagine that as he is going to Aaron, he said, what did they do to you? For you to bring such a great sin upon them. I want you to imagine the intensity and the ferocity in his voice saying, why would you do this? Why would you bring such a great sin upon them to turn them to idols? Why would you give into this? I want you to think about after everything that God had done for them, after God had uh, delivered them from Pharaoh, after God had brought them across the Red Sea, after God had sustained them, after God had fed them, after God had given them water, still it was so easy for them just to be like, all right, here we go. This is what we're going to do now. Man, I want to ask you a question because I know I'm guilty of it in my own life. How easy is it for you to forget when God has done something for you and move on to the next thing and start complaining? Man, this came up a year ago and we were talking about this. Man, we are so easy to give in and say, Lord, I need this. God, I really need your help right now. And as soon as God does it or God says yes, what do we do? We just move on to the next thing. Do we ever actually stop to say thank you? When was the last time in your, in your devotional life, in your prayer life, that you stopped to say, Lord, I'm not coming to ask you for anything. But God, I want to come to you because I'm overwhelmed for what you've already done. Exodus 20, uh, 32, verses 25 through 28, when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among the enemies. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? He, he's talking to the Israelites, right? Let him come unto me, and all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. All right? So you got the tribe of Levi said, Hey, man, we don't want nothing to do with this. We don't want anything to do with this false worship. We're, we're going to come to you. He said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side, 
and go in and out from the gate to gate throughout the camp and slay every man his brother and every man his companion and every man his neighbor. And the children of, of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and there fell on the people there about 3,000 men. It was so serious that Moses called the Levites and he said, look, anybody who was involved with this, anybody who tried coming for this idol worship, we're getting rid of them. Look at verse 28. It says, the children of Israel, or the children of Levi, did according to the word of Moses, and there fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. Man, we have got to get that when God says, hey, this is what I desire, we have to understand how important it is to be obedient to his word. Man, you heard in some of the testimonies last week, Code talked uh, at All Church Retreat, he talked about worship. Man, when God requires worship, when God asks to be worshiped, he tells us how and when and where. One thing I mentioned last week that stood out to me, man, if, if Abraham had not listened to God when he told him to sacrifice Isaac, if he would have went somewhere else or if he would have done it a different way, man, that ram would not have been in the thicket because he would not have been listening to God. It would not have been worship. It would not have been sacrifice. It would have been murder. And Abraham would have been without a son. And he probably would have been estranged to God because he did not listen and he would not have obeyed God. Now, by killing these 3,000 men, this is another act of repentance to God by removing those that would rebel, or the, the stiff-necked, as God called them. Stiff-necked means rebellious or to disobey. Man, if that, does not, if, if that does not sum us up as a people. Now, I know it's talking about the children of Israel right here, and I'm not trying to take that out of context, but man, if that does not sum up who we are as a generation. Stiff-necked, rebellious, and disobedient. What he was doing is he is making a statement that the only way that we're going to do this thing is the way God has commanded. It's God's way or the highway. That's it. Now that Moses has disciplined Israel, Moses goes back to God to atone for their sin. Chapter 32, verses 30 through 33 says, And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, Ye have sinned a great sin, and I now I will go uh, up unto the Lord, and peradventure I shall make an atonement for your sin. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin, and have made them gods of gold. Could you imagine having to be the man that is going into the presence of God and saying, hey, man, they've really jacked up. I know you told them not to do this, but they did it anyway. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee out of thy book which thou hast written. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever has sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Now Moses has gone and atoned for their sin, and now we see that Moses has come back down from the mountain. Moses is, is no longer on the mountain in the cloud of smoke and, and thunder in the presence of the Lord. Exodus 33, verses uh, 8 through 10 says, And it came to pass when Moses went out under the tabernacle, that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone in the tabernacle. And it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. Verse 10, <laughs> it says, And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose up and worshipped, every man in his tent door. 
Now, I want to remind you of a verse. Exodus 19, verse 16 says, And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and thick cloud upon the mount. And the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. Remind you of another verse. Exodus 24, verse 16, and the, and the glory of the Lord abode on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days, and the seventh day called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now, what's so funny to me about this, and, and honestly, funny is not the right word. Honestly, it's, it's what's, what's so compelling about this. Is in chapter 19, when God told Moses to sanctify them, and then in chapter 20, when the physical presence of God came upon Mount Sinai, and he came down the mount to them, they seen the cloud, they heard the thunder, they seen the smoke, they seen the fire, right? They seen all of that. In chapter 24, when Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to get the tablets and hear about the tabernacle, they see it again. They have seen and heard and been in the physical presence of God. So you know what's so crazy to me? That in chapter 32, it says, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down to the mount, the people gathered together uh, themselves uh, together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, and we shall go before us. For as this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. They're saying, hey, we don't know what, we don't know what happened to him. But man, I, I want to tell you, if you compare Scripture to Scripture and you believe the Bible, they knew exactly where Moses were, or they knew exactly where Moses was, because they still seen that God was on the mountain. They witnessed and seen the presence of God, but yet all of a sudden they see him on the mountain, they've been waiting, and they're like, oh, we don't know what that is. They turn their back and say, yeah, I, I don't know, man, I don't know where Moses went. But they know exactly where he is, they see the cloud of smoke, they see, they, they see the fire, they hear the thunderings, they have seen it and witnessed it twice now, but when they're ready to turn over to false idols, they're like, oh, I don't know where he is. I don't know what's going on. Even though I've seen that cloud of smoke up on the mountain twice now, I have no clue what it is. You know what happens when your kid does that? Call your kid a liar, right? When your kid says, oh, no, 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 I don't know what you're talking about. Yes, you do. I've explained it to you three times, and you've already done it three times. You know exactly what I'm talking about. They were willfully being disobedient to God. I want you to understand how big of a slap in the face it is to God. While God is on the mountain convening with Moses, trying to help the benefit of his people, they're down at the bottom of the mountain saying, oh, we don't know what's going on. They are willfully being disobedient to God. Then in Exodus 34, God gives Moses the new stone tablets. Now, I want to ask you a couple questions. We're going we're gonna to start slimming her down here in just a few minutes. I want to ask you if, if they were willingly, or if they were willfully disobedient, how we can be willfully obedient to God. Number one on your outline, I want you to see that we can obey the word. Exodus 19, verse 8 says, And the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses returned the words uh, unto the Lord. Well, we know they said this, but man, they sure didn't mean it. If they would have meant it while Moses was up on the mountain talking to God and being in the physical presence of God, they would have been down on the mountain. They would have been down in the wilderness at the bottom of the mountain. They would have still been worshiping. 
And, and what's crazy to even take it a step further, when you go to a mountain, when you're at the base of the mountain, man, it seems so big, right? You can see the clouds, you can see the trees, you can see everything up from the bottom, right? How crazy would it be to be at the foot of where God is working and just completely say, you know what, man, I, I'm, I want no part of it. This ain't happening when I want it to. This ain't happening how I want it to. I'm going to go do something else. Man, how much of a slap in the face is that to God? How terrible is it to say, God, I know you're working. I can physically see you moving, but I don't like the way you're doing it, so I'm going to go somewhere else. And you know what? I'm not even going to go to another church. I'm going to go worship idols. You know how easy it is for us as, you know, a church being in Laodicea, you know how easy it is for us to put idols up in front of God? I'm not trying to get ahead of myself because this is going to be part of our next point. Man, anything can be an idol. I have been guilty more times than I, I care to count on letting my job be an idol. I don't like telling my bosses no. I, I, used to be a, I used to be a guy that didn't want to work. I was lazy. I had no work ethic. And, and now, man, through God changing my life, I'm actually fairly decent at my job. And I don't like letting people down. And I don't like when I can't do something for them. They say, hey, you know, we'll, we'll offer you X and X amount of money if you can do this. All right, sold. Completely forgetting, man, it's my job to be at home and lead my family. When I'm gone, if my family falls into some sin or something happens in my family, I've got nobody to blame but myself because I'm not being where God has commanded me to be. And I'm not obeying his word. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. Meditate on these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt save both thyself and them that near thee. Proverbs 2, verse 1 through 5 says, My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding, yea, if thou criest after knowledge... And lift up thy voice for understanding. If thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as hid treasures. Look here, listen, listen right here at verse number five. Then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Man, it all starts with obeying this word. And I, I am of the opinion that God has... Well, I'm not going to say opinion. I'm of the fact that God has preserved his word for us today. Sometimes I, I like to study and I like to look at Greek and Aramaic and, and see what the roots and the Hebrew of, of some of these words and exactly what they mean because to an extent you almost have to because there's a lot of people out there that will misinterpret every single jot and tittle just to make it fit their agenda. But I, I can confidently tell you that you don't need the Hebrew and Greek because God has given us a preserved word. If I didn't have Hebrew and I didn't have the Greek and we didn't have the Aramaic, you know, to, to go back to, man, it'd be fine. Because he's given us a preserved word through the generations that he himself has preserved. It's not like there was some guy just keeping it in his basement until one day it was right, you know, put out. If you understand what this book right here has gone through, through the pages of history, just to be here where we have it right now, man, just for an example... 1500s, there's a man named William Tyndale who England is, is essentially under Catholic rule. 
And, and he told the Pope, he said, I'm going to make sure that a boy driving a plow knows more of the Word of God than you do. You've got to understand that when, when they had the Word of God, they were getting it from a priest. They did not have full access to the Word of God in their language. Man, that's where we get the King James. William Tyndale was hung, and his body was burned. And his dying words was, God, please open the eyes to the King of England. That king being King James. And in 1604, man, they started a seven-year process of, of translating the preserved word of God. It wasn't some trash word that was found in, in, in some ancient monastery that's been changed over time. No, man, this, this is legit. This is the real deal. And obedience starts by obeying this word. Second thing I want you to look at is the way we can be willfully obedient is to have no idols before God. Verse we've read today a few times, Exodus 20, verse 3 says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me is the first commandment that he gave to the children of Israel. The very first one. It wasn't like something at the bottom, you know, you, you think, okay, they're, they're listening, they're listening, okay, maybe they don't get something at the end because, you know, he, they're, they're already fearful of God. But no, it's the first thing out of his mouth. You would think that it's the first thing that God tells them is probably pretty important. It was so important that he put it on a piece of stone for them to have and to keep. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. What profiteth the graven image that the maker thereof hath graven it, and the molten image and the teacher of lies, that the maker of his work trusteth therein to make dumb idols? Woe unto them that saith to the wood, Awake! To the dumb stone arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is laid over with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in the midst of it, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Man, you read those verses right there, and it makes it very clear why God did not want any kind of graven images or gold or silver idols made unto him. What's the metal going to do? Speak? What's the gold going to do? Come alive? I mean, come to life? No, 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 no. He said, take a stone. Don't let your tool touch it and sacrifice to me there. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 uh, through 21, verse 19 says, And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding, that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. That is the true God and eternal life. Now, listen right here how, how he finishes it off. 1 John 5, 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Anything can be an idol. Your spouse, your kids, your job, your phone, your hobbies. Man, I'm going I'm I'm to be honest with you again. Sometimes it's hard when you're up here leading worship to not let worship be an idol. And you think, okay, man, that doesn't make sense. How can worship be an idol? No, it can be. Because when you're standing up here and you're singing or you're playing an instrument, the thing going through your head is, how does what I'm doing sound? And what you do is you find yourself in the state of constantly trying to make it better, but you're not making it better because the better it sounds, the better God's pleased with it. You're making it better because the better it sounds, the more people sing along, the more people clap. And you find yourself, man, in putting worship as an idol because you're not doing it to worship God. You're doing it to worship yourself because you want people to enjoy what you're doing. 
it's it's crazy and so simplistic so simplistic to me man that was a I don't know why I had to start down that word uh, it's so crazy and simplistic to me how we can we can be worshiping God and you know on a high you know coming off coming home from all church retreat man I felt like I was gonna say Paulton County in a week and it's funny how you can go from being on a high like that to, man, a day later, a week later, a month later, unknowingly and not realizing it, man, you're putting all these things in front of God. Because if we're not making God the first priority in our life, man, we're putting idols before him, whether we realize it or like it. If you are putting anything in your life before God, you're putting an idol before God. And again, man, it was so serious that it was the first thing out of his mouth to the children of Israel that day. Third thing on your outline right here, and we're going to finish up right here. Number three is uh, to sanctify thyself. I remember when, when we first started going through 52 weeks of pursuit and prayer room, the, the book of Leviticus, man, God just lays out a beautiful picture of these different uh, offerings and sacrifices. And, and one thing, man, Tony Godfrey pointed out on the, on the men's retreat is not every sacrifice did God say it had a sweet-smelling savor. Man, when you bring what you really hold near and dear and true in your life, when you bring it and you sacrifice that to God and you cleanse yourself because he said, be ye holy for I am holy. Look, God understands that, that we're flesh. He understands that you're carnal. He understands all of these things. But man, he, he chose to love us anyway. Isn't that crazy? Isn't it crazy that when God created the universe, when God... <laughs> When God anchored the foundations of this world, he knew that the children of Israel, he knew that the Israelites were going to, to, to have Aaron make that golden calf. But what did he do? He did it anyway. Because God, man, God has called us to a standard of holiness. And does that mean you're going to be perfect? No, it means that you're going to walk in the light of his word. And you're going to be obedient to him. You know, if... If you ever sit back and you, you need something to think about, I want you to think about what your Christian life would be like if you serve God the way God serves you. If you sit back and you did everything for God that God does for you, or if you sit back and you love God the way that God loves you, man, that, that's why David had such a cool thing going with God. He loved his word. Now, David was a man, and he had, he, he had women problems. He had more problems than he, he could count, but you know what he did? Despite all that, God said that he was a man after his own heart. He loved the word, and the word will sanctify us. Exodus nineteen fourteen, and Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. He said, he said cleanse them today and tomorrow, and then wash their clothes. You know, I think, I think that sometimes, you know, we, we meet every Sunday at 9.15. And in the midst of doing that, so at, at some point in, in all of our minds, I'm sure, it gets, it gets moved over to where it's just a switch. By default, on Sunday morning, I'm going to be at church at 9.15. Right? Come hell or high water, because it's just what we do. Once you do something for so long, it becomes a habit. But I want you to realize that when we gather, and if you don't gather, man, I, I, if you don't come, I encourage you to come. 
Because you want to know what's happening? We're sanctifying ourselves before the Lord. And we are getting our heart right, and we are pleading with God. God, we know that we are unworthy. But Lord, please cleanse us because you're holy and you've asked us to be holy. Man, I, I want to encourage you this morning that as easy as it is to be as willfully disobedient, it's just as easy to be willfully obedient. It just depends on what you love. It depends on where you're laying treasure. It depends on what you have stock in. Man, if you are putting stock into this world, and if you are trusting in the powers of this world to help you or to do something in your life, man, you're not going to sanctify yourself. You're going to have idols before God. You're not going to obey his word. But if you are, are laying treasures in heaven, if you, are, if you are trusting in the word, if you are letting God be the only thing in your life that you worship, man, it's really easy to be obedient to God. And you look at that list and you say, man, that's a lot of work. Yeah, it is. But the Bible says that we're supposed to be a living sacrifice. That's our reasonable service. Man, one thing that I, I think, I've, I've talked to Lee and Dylan about this, and I, I've heard a lot of people speak on this. One thing where I think that the evangelical movement in the modern-day church, man, has, has seriously just taken a back seat to is that Jesus never one time, or anybody in the Bible, I, I imagine if you've seen that Jesus give an altar call, it would have been a lot different than what we give today. It wasn't, hey, you don't want to go to hell, come get saved. Now, don't get me wrong, man, I, I am so thankful that a byproduct of me entering into a relationship with Jesus Christ is that I don't have to go to hell. But if we give a biblical altar call, it'll be like, hey, it's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. But there's going to come a day after you've been persecuted and after you have withstood the temptations of this life that you are going to get to lay your life and your crowns down before an almighty God. And you're going to get to tell him how worthy he is of it. It's never been about us. Through the pages of the Bible, through the pages of history, it has never been about us. It has always been about God using us to get glory. It has always been about us being obedient to God to get the glory that is due his name. And one more thing I, I, I want to add on here. The reason we should be obedient is because the day that God gets the glory that's due to his name, man, if you're saved and you've been obedient to him, you're going to get to help give that glory. You're going to have crowns to put at his feet. Your works are going to go through, the Bible says, like a furnace, and anything that's wood, hay, and stubble is going to be burned up. But the real works, the real things that we've done for God out of a pure, intentional heart, things that we have done to legitimately worship God, man, they're going to be tried in a furnace, and they're going to come out as precious stones. And we're going to be able to take those precious stones, and we're going to be able to cast them at the feet of an almighty God. This morning, you can play for just a couple minutes. We're just going to pray. Um, I want to encourage you, man. Men, women, boys, and girls. Troy, Troy mentioned something. I, I, meant to, I meant to mention this last week and you know, part of talking about our church retreat. People say that the Bible's hard to understand. The Bible's not hard to understand. The language that we teach is hard to understand. We, we teach kids to do all this stuff in school, and we say, hey, you know, learn this, learn this, learn this. And I'll be honest. Like, I, I guarantee you, there's stuff they're teaching in high school right now. I'm not even 30, but I, there's stuff they're teaching in high school now that I probably couldn't understand because I, I, didn't, I didn't learn it when I was in high school. Every year, things get more complicated and more complicated. This book stays the same. And if we can teach the language of this book, man, it... It's real easy to understand. 
We're going to pray. If you want to come to the altar, I encourage you, man. Please come spend some time before the Lord. We're going to be quiet just for a minute. We're going to pray. I, I, want, I want you to rest assured. If you have any doubts, if you have any, t- any hesitations in life, is what I'm doing worth it? You know, it's, it's difficult to work a job when you're around a lot of secular people. It's difficult to work a job when you're around a lot of people who you know do not have the same values as you do. And it is difficult to keep a standard of holiness when you are in a world that hates your guts. Now, they don't hate you because you're human. John 15 lays it out pretty clear. They hate you because you're of God. But what does he say? He says, he says don't worry because if the world hates you, they hated me first. And there's nothing that we are going to go through or that we can go through that Jesus didn't go through himself. So this morning we're going to pray. And we're, going to, we're going to be quiet just for a minute. If you want to come down, there's already a couple that came. If you want to come down the altar and pray and just seek the Lord for a few minutes, I want to encourage you to do that. Um, we're going to be quiet just for a couple minutes and then we're going to pray. Father, Lord, we just want to thank you, God, for, Lord, I want to thank you, Lord, for the privilege to open your word this morning, God. I thank you, Lord, that even though I'm unworthy, God, that you are worthy, and God, even though that I am not capable, God, you are. Lord, I I know that, God, if anything has brought you glory today, it's been done by your spirit, Lord, through your word. So, God, I just pray today, Lord, that you would help our minds and our hearts. God, I pray, Lord, as we leave here today, God, that the first thing on our mind is, God, help me to be willfully obedient to you. Help me, God, to be willfully obedient to your word. Lord, I pray that as we leave, God, it's it's so easy just to, to come and hear your word, God. And just, it's, it's easy if we come in just to hear a sermon. If we come in just to hear a sermon, it's so easy to walk out the doors and not think any more about it. But God, I pray that this morning we have listened with ears to hear God and hearts to understand and minds to learn, God, that this is your word, Lord, and that your word should change our lives. Your word can change our lives, God, if we will just be obedient and back up, God, and just let you do, God, what you are wanting to do in our lives.